Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Co-hosts Tom Hill and Eleonora Rangers had the opportunity to interview Rich Overbeck, who is currently wintering over at South Pole Station. As many of our listeners know, expeditions to our planet's polar regions are considered to be an extreme environmental analog, not unlike what would be encountered on the surface of Mars, for example. Indeed, as Rich will tell us, part of his motivation for wintering over on the ice was because it's the closest he can come to traveling to Mars in this lifetime. In part two of our conversation with Rich Overbeck, we'll explore more insights regarding life on the ice, including the number of showers one is permitted to take weekly and what Rich likes to do during downtime. Then we'll explore some broader aspects of ice life, including whether there are animals at the South Pole, what storms are like, how COVID was prevented at the pole, and the duration of time one is permitted to serve down there. We'll also delve into what Rich looks most forward to when his time at the South Pole draws to a close. This episode was recorded via Zoom on February 12, 2022. Rich will remain in Antarctica until November 2022. Do they supply, you know, I, I can't imagine bringing a year's worth of toiletries down to, <laughs> under the ice. Do they supply toiletries and towels and stuff? So, like, all you have to really bring was, you know, your clothes and, I don't know, and, and an iPod or whatever, you know, to listen to music. Most of the toiletries you do bring yourself. The uh, There's a store. Um, the store, if you run out, there's, there's usually, I mean, it's limited, but there's usually, you're not going to run out of toothpaste or anything. Yeah, you, you should be fine. I mean, you're limited. It's not like a place where you're going to shower every day. You're technically limited to two, two minute showers per week. Um, so everybody smells a little bit human, uh, but it's just to, <laughs> to limit because it, <laughs> it takes a, it, it takes a lot of energy to make water here. So um, mm-hmm. that's, that's the reason behind that. And, you know, you get used to it and uh, that's just the way it is. Yeah. What are the storms like? Uh, I wish I could have experienced the storm at McMurdo, uh, which was called a con one where you can't even go outside here at the pole. Um, really the storms are very, very mild about the highest speed and or wind speed is going to be about 30 miles per hour. Uh, oh, wow. but that's enough to make a lot of drifting snow or it does, it does cause uh, like a, a complete whiteout condition. Like on a sunny day, the wind could kick up and then all of a sudden it's, it's so white. It's really weird. It's so white. If you can't tell that you're walking, what you're walking on, you know, you're walking, but you stumble, you're tripling, uh, tripping because you can't, it, the, the ground's white or you know, the snow pack is white and it just blends in. It's just, it's the strangest thing you can imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You can't tell the difference between earth and sky. Dang. When you have uh, your, your time off, what do you like to do to pass the time? Uh, for me, I, I, I like to read. There's a really good library here with a lot of vintage books, you know, by Edmondson, Scott, uh, Admiral Byrd. So I'm planning on reading all those that I can. Shackleton, 
I'm also a drummer. Uh, we also have a band here. Well, we're forming the band right now for winter band for just events or just to get to get together and jam. I the the rest of my time is going to be outside when it gets dark and looking at the the night sky as much as I can. I plan on being out there every day, so uh, every night it's going to be night the whole time. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do they have? Do they have lights that are normally on that you need to turn off to see the stars, or is it, or is it always just dark? Um, yeah, well, actually, once we get into winter here, it, we use red lights on all the buildings, and they're actually for navigation, so you can see to go to building to building. And right. there's flag lines that lead you for safety. Okay. Um, the actual like telescopes, they're not optical telescopes; they're they're more like looking for big bang particles, things like that. But to get to those, uh, they're they're about half a mile away from the main station. And also, all windows in the station are covered with cardboard, uh, so there's no art, artificial light leaking out. So we, it's it's you want the darkest natural skies for science that you can get. So, hmm. wow, are there astronomers down there that are manning those telescopes, or are those like remote? Like you just have them set up and someone in, uh, I don't know, Florida or whatever is, mo- is actually monitoring the uh, output? It, it's both, actually. So most of them are like astrophysicists, graduates, PhD uh, guys and gals. So they're managing the, the telescope from here. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the information is shared with universities and who's, whoever wants to do the, the studies. Do they require you to take any sort of supplementation like vitamin D once you're in full darkness? Uh, once again, that's not required, but yes, it's it's recommended. Vitamin D, regular vitamin, multivitamins, vitamin C, all those things. Yeah, they they, they certainly help you. A lot of people take melatonin to help them sleep. I, I suppose it works. I, I don't know. But yes, I do my vitamin D regimen pretty much every day. Mm, okay. You said your interest is uh, partially for being there is, you know, because it's, it's close to, very close to being in space, as, as close as you'll get. Do you see a, a utility in it for future space travelers for training? I, I do. It's a great place when people are talking about going to Mars and the long trip out, you know, six months together um, and getting along. They should be looking at places, in a, and I'm sure they have, places like the South Pole, remote uh, camp, work camps in Alaska. But, I mean, where it is a challenge. I mean, you have different walks of life. And uh, not all those people are going to get along, but it's going to be a challenge. You know, you're going to, you're going to have to, <laughs> you're on your way to Mars. You're not going to turn around and come back because somebody's bad. <laughs> They're just not working out. You're going to, that's things you're going to have to work through, but yes, that's how I relate to it. And, and I think they have done some, NASA has done some studies here on not just that, but um, you know, the, you know, the greenhouse and, and uh, maybe some other things too. Yeah. So I noticed the architecture that in the room you're in looks very typical, you know, like a conference room type setup. In a space capsule, things would have to be much smaller and much more cramped. Do you think that would make a difference in how you could handle things? You know, your room might be just a bed and a space you can stand up with a tiny little desk. And there's only one common area. And do you see do you see that making a, a difference? if you were on an actual space flight versus, you know, the isolation here? Yeah, I, that, that is going to be a challenge. Um, I mean, I like to think of the movies, like if I can say the Martian, but uh, you know, the spacecraft they're traveling on, you know, they're, they got tons of room and <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be quite, quite be like that. Now you can imagine being in an Apollo era 
command module with two other people. Right. <laughs> if you looked inside one, it's not big. Nope. Nope. Um, whereas, say my my dorm room here, I had I, it's mine. I don't have a roommate. It's probably eight foot by five foot. The ceiling is eight foot tall. So I mean, only a small portion of my room is usable. Whereas being in space. Now you're looking at a, a square cubed room where all that, all that, I mean, you're floating around near zero gravity. So it's all usable space. This is a good, uh, good place to to practice all that, but yeah, people will need their personal space. Yeah. And, and that, that will be a challenge. I I'm sure. Yeah. Are there any wild animals or, you know, of course I always think of penguins at the South pole, but just curious about that. And also if there are animals, there are people, do they do any recreational hunting or is that restricted? Like have, I have no idea, you know, what that, yeah. what that may be like. Well, first of all, the Antarctic treaty uh, between the, the countries that manage the Antarctic treaty, uh, firearms are, are not allowed at all. Um, and the only animals that you'll ever find are going to be on the, on the coast of Antarctica at the pole. There's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing here. There's no bird. If a bird, like a, Skua, which is kind of like a giant seagull, if if they did if it did fly to the pole, it would never make it back because there's there's just no food. There's there's nothing here. It's essential when you walk outside and look across the the plains to the horizon. It's it's just like being on the ocean, except it's just not moving. Well, just kind of moving with the wind, but uh, uh, it's but there's nothing here. No no wildlife at all. That's amazing. What have restrictions been like about COVID? Um, you, you mentioned about quarantines. Um, I'm just curious how they handle, handle that. And do you still have to undergo testing once you're down there at all? Or, I mean, once you're clear, pretty unlikely someone's going to contract anything because it's an isolated environment. I don't know how much I could actually say on that, but uh, you do have to go through, like, entering New Zealand, they require you to quarantine. Things are changing daily with all the, the vaccines and everything. Vaccination is required to work in Antarctica now. When we have any th- possible threat, like if we get a new co- cohort group down to McMurdo, uh, when they, they first come in, uh, we, we go to like a level blue and everyone has to wear a mask. Uh, and we do that for seven, seven days and then you get to take your mask off. The National Science Foundation and um, the Antarctic, United States Antarctic Program has done a fantastic job on the American basis keeping COVID out. Uh, your numbers are pretty low, so that's, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and with the number of contacts that are absolutely traceable and all that, that makes sense. Yeah. How many nations have bases down there? I mean, I, I obviously the U.S., Australia, I believe, right, or New Zealand. I'm just curious about other countries down there. There's there's quite a few. I, I don't know if I can name them all, but the our Russians, the Italians, well, it's Italian and French and ESA, uh, Concordia. Is there? There's two guys working here that worked at Concordia, uh, which are they're 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 a blast to have here. They're so much fun. There's uh, I think the, the Chilean base, uh, New Zealand base, Australia. Yeah, the ones he said. Actually, the New Zealand base is only about. Um, two and a half, three miles from McMurdo. We get to visit there and they come visit us. And yeah, it's kind of a big, happy family in a way. Yeah. Um, There's some pretty good maps you can Google and see what other bases are out there, but others, there's quite a few actually. Okay. This just occurred to me. A band is forming. Are you in the band? 
And you probably didn't bring an instrument with you in your suitcase. So where are the instruments coming from? Well, once again, uh, because of the challenges of, of living here, uh, we also have a band room complete with guitars, bass guitars, uh, electric guitars, acoustical guitars, violins, stand-up bass, uh, full drum set, keyboards, uh, all the amps you can imagine, uh, effects pedals, um, so essentially everything you need. Oh, we have horns, we have a sousaphone, trombones, trumpets, clarinets. And, and this flutes. is like just part of the facility. This is like a library type oh, setup. Wow. Pretty much, yes. And uh, so far, I'm the drummer, and uh, I can sing, but uh, playing drums and singing is is terribly hard, so I don't do that. But, uh, yeah, only Phil um, Collins I'll, I'll pulled that up. one off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really hard. Or that, that dude from Night Ranger. No <laughs> older than you. <laughs> so, so what's the name of the band? Does it, ha- does it have an Antarctic theme? We haven't actually formed yet, and we haven't even had our first rehearsal yet. So, so band name's not even, uh, no, we haven't thought of anything. But uh, typically, yes, uh, Antarctic theme is is something you try to pick, yeah, if you can. Wow, that's cool. So you, you guys will have to record it. I don't know if you can post it on uh, on YouTube. We can say, wow, that really would be live for Antarctica. It's <laughs> the band. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think we probably could do something like that uh, or put it on a Facebook uh, clip or something. Yeah. I know that there's a almost looks like a lawn ball, like a silver ball that people always love to get their their pictures with. And I'm curious, is that at the South Pole or is that at McMurdo? And it has like flags, I no. think, international flags around it. That's here at the pole. Uh, that's called the ceremonial pole. And uh, so that's right outside the the build outside the gallery. You can see it, and it is it's it's a lawn gazing ball on a barber pole, and I think that was a tradition that that was started. Um, the original pole was like a barber pole with a, a ball on top, and it's uh, so that was started. The first winter over crew here was 1957, and so we're number we'll be number 65 winter over crew. So 65 years of constant. Uh, winter people now get, uh, sorry i get carried away not too far from the ceremonial pole is the ge- the actual geographic pole and they 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 remarket every year they have a surveyor they remark that every year because the polar plateau moves i mean even this whole station moves about 33 feet in one direction every year so they go back and remark it yeah Wow. So wait, that's not that's not precession of the earth that's actual the pole the plate moving it's the polar cap, not not the Antarctic plate, but yeah, the polar cap, the whole ice sheet on top. Okay, feet okay, on top. yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's it, cool. It's it's substantial. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Which so, makes it really, it's just a really hard uh, place to to build something, you know, and have it yeah. last. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you been out with your GPS yet to uh, to measure the to measure the pole? Um, I didn't use the GPS to measure the pole, but uh, uh, last Sunday, three of the, the scientists that are weather meteor- meteorologists, they had launched a weather balloon, and it, it didn't get very far, and it came back down, and they wanted to recover it, so it was about 10 kilometers away from the station, so I, I drove a, a track vehicle out there, and we all hopped in, and uh, we used the GPS to find it, yeah, uh, it was sending okay. out a signal, and he had exactly where it went down, so yeah, GPS works here. Okay, so... 
my son and I visited uh, Greenwich Observatory and the, the line that they have marked with the laser and all that, it's great because you pull out your GPS and that's not zero longitude anymore because something in the creation of the GPS system is like a hundred feet off. You have to walk a hundred feet East for your GPS to read zero. So I was wondering if it's similar at the, at the, you know, I haven't tried you know it's going to be yet. closed. The things I really like is that like the, some of the clocks here, um, you know, they used to, in old days, they would have North, East, South, West. Well, most of the clocks here is North, 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 North. <laughs> Any direction you want to go is North. That's true. Yeah. That's a little yeah. confusing for your, uh, for your scout training. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hit all 24 time zones in about two, two seconds. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, pretty cool. When you come back to the States after your time down there, what's the first thing you're going to do? Well, the first place, after I get to New Zealand, the smells are always overwhelming, which in a good way, because uh, just the smell of restaurants and plants and everything, earth, it just, uh, that's one thing you look forward to. Um, probably eat <laughs> more fresh food. <laughs> Uh, and I'll probably have to buy some clothes because uh, uh, the environment's really hard on everything, everything here. Uh, um, so, and you, you can only bring so much with you. So yeah, I'll probably run out and get something. And then, and that's all I can think of the first thing I would do. <laughs> Maybe call friends on a real telephone. <laughs> yeah. How does your family take it? I mean, do they, do you connect with them pretty regularly on Zoom calls or? Uh, y- yes. Well, I actually use, uh, other means that we, we can make some phone calls here. Um, uh, so I'm married I have a wonderful wife who's very supportive of what I'm doing. Matter of fact is, uh, I was kind of moping around one day. She goes, are you going to apply or not? <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, so I did. And, uh, I know this, this is a long time to be away, but, uh, uh, we, we talk every day and, uh, she's super supportive and has been excellent. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Well, we're going to give a shout out to the supportive wife here on the on the uh, podcast, right? Absolutely. Yep. All right. And I know we have to acknowledge the National Science Foundation for um, allowing uh, the time to speak with you today. So I did want to make sure I gave that shout out as well. Awesome. This really is a wonderful program, uh, the, the, the sciences and everything. I, I, I wish I could tell you more about it but it's a uh, it's a uh, it's it's w- worthwhile uh, and they're doing and nsf and the uh the usap which is united states antarctic program they do a fantastic job here hmm. do you um do people tend to stay in touch you know with each other after their time on the ice i mean um or does everybody just kind of go their separate ways and that's it uh kind of both um you also because you spend so much time together um, you actually do make lifelong uh, friendships here. Um, they almost become family. And in the, for the people that return uh, multiple times, you're super excited when you see uh, see those people again. It's like seeing you know, like your your cousin or your brother or something like you haven't seen them in a year, and there you are, you know. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you do make some lifelong friendships, and uh, most I think a lot of people do stay in touch with each other. Um, uh, I'm certainly planning on it. So. Yeah. Are there are there any people that stay down there all the time, like are permanent Antarctica residents? 
No, the uh, um, there's rules set in place. I think um, I'm pushing. I'll be pushing the limit for the length of time you can actually stay on the ice, and then you have to leave for a minimum of uh, 45 days. So I'll be here probably, I guess, around 400 days, something like that total. And uh, they they want you to leave because um, they don't want you to burn out. Uh, it, I mean, it's you know it can be it can be challenging, but most of the time, like uh, there, there's seasons you can work. You can do a summer season. You can do the winter. You can do summer winter, or you can do winter summer. <laughs> so there's various ways to mix it up. Um, I pushed really hard because I was like, I want to do as much as I can because I don't know if I'm coming back. Who knows? But as a, there are permanent employees that work for the program, and most of those usually only come down to the pole for the summer, and the rest of the time they're working in Denver or at their homes in direct support of, of the station, doing parts ordering, hiring uh, people for the next season, that kind of stuff. So there are permanent jobs available, yes. But you're not going to live here. You, you can't. Thank you for listening to another episode of Space 3D. Join us for the conclusion of our interview with Rich Overbeck in our next podcast. For co-hosts Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.